You're listening to the Future Tech Podcast with Richard Jacobs. Future technologies such as artificial intelligence, stem cells, 3D printing, gene editing, Bitcoin, blockchain, the microbiome, quantum computing, virtual reality, and exploring space are much closer than you might think. In fact, many early versions of these technologies are in play right now, and the companies that are using these technologies are the focus of this podcast. My goal for you, the listener, is to learn from these podcasts. You may very well learn something that may change the course of your life for the better, steer you towards a new career, or give you insight into addressing a thorny medical problem. Remember, this podcast and its content is informational in nature only. No medical, tax, legal, financial, or psychological advice is being given. If you enjoyed the podcast, please listen, subscribe, like, and tell your friends about it. Thank you. Hello, this is Richard Jacobs with the Future Tech and Future Tech Health podcast. And I have uh, two interesting researchers I'm talking today. I hope I get their names pronounced properly. Xiaoyang Wu and Ming Shu, uh, the book at the University of Chicago. We're going to be talking about CRISPR uh, gene editing. And they're going to be talking about strange things like cocaine-proof mice and uh, cracking the puzzle of addiction. So uh, thank you guys for coming. I appreciate it. Thank you for the opportunity. Yeah, thank you. Yeah. So tell me, I've heard in the news a lot about CRISPR-Cas9. What is it? Can you just define it for listeners so that they understand? Xiaoyang uh, Xiaoyang is the best to explain this. Okay. Uh, uh, yeah, uh, CRISPR is a, a, um, a kind of, a, we can see the revolutionary uh, new tool for the genome editing. So that provides um, um, a wonderful tool to precisely uh, edit the cell's genome. And we can modify the genome by, uh, for example, correcting mutations. Uh, and also it provides us tool to uh, insert uh, like a coding sequence, the therapeutic genes into a safe locus precisely into the engineered cell. So uh, as far as I understand, CRISPR-Cas9, it comes from bacteria. It's a mechanism that bacteria use to edit their own genes, right? Mm-hmm. Yes. It's uh, yeah, from bacteria cells, yes. Okay. So what, what does it do if you introduce CRISPR-Cas9 into an organism like a mouse? What does it do? Does it is it go to the, the, the coding sequence of the genome and cut out certain parts of the sequence and replace them with something else? Or how does it work? Yeah, um, so the system uh, depends on uh, two major components. One is called the Cas9 protein, and the second is a guide RNA. So the guide RNA will provide the sequence specificity, so they only uh, recognize a special sequence. It depends on the design, so you can select uh, uh, literally almost any sequence in the in, in the mammalian genome, like in the mouse cells, we can select almost anything, as long as it has a, 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 a specific, we call the PAM sequence at the end. And mm-hmm. the gRNA will be able to guide the Cas9 to target to that locus. And the unmodified Cas9 protein will be able to cleave the DNA sequence, create we call double-strand break. And if that happens, the double-strand break may induce, we call the non-homologous end joining and that can cause um, most of the time mutation in that specific locus. So in this case, it can uh, be used, uh, the tools can be developed based on this concept to repair a potential mutation. For example, in the inherited uh, genetic disease, we can knock out a specific, uh, like say, mutated exon. So we'll still make the protein to be expressed relatively uh, at a normal level. Uh, so it provides a tool to, uh, to make the correction and the second, the double strand break, when it happens in the genome, 
that can uh, greatly increase the chance for homologous recombination if the cells, if the nuclear has enough template, um, you know, has enough template inside the nuclear. So the, the mm -hmm. damaged uh, the chromosome will be able to use those templates to repair it. And in this case, we can insert uh, a potential uh, interesting gene, like a therapeutic gene, into that double strand breakpoint. So that can provide a tool that we can guide any insertion, like a exogenous gene, into a safe locus, into the cells. So unlike a virus-based therapy, you know, that insertion is random and it may cause, you know, mutation to the genome, we call the genome toxicity. And the CRISP-based okay. uh, modification will be sequence-specific and can be safe. How do you know that viruses randomly insert their, their genetic information into a host? They must be doing some targeting. Yeah, there will be some preference, but it's uh, it's nearly impossible to control where the virus will insert. The you know, hmm. um, yeah, that's the uh, very significant barrier for the um, for the viral based uh, therapy. Yeah. Well, thank God. Yeah. Otherwise, viruses would really uh, would really cause us big problems. I guess that they if they could select it. Yeah, right now, um, a lot of people use a relatively safe uh, virus. Uh, I mean, right now in the field, most people use the adeno-associated virus. So the insertion is minimum, and, uh, and it can be, uh, can be safe. Yeah. But still, I mean, um, the expression using the AAV-based uh, platform um, is more transient expression without insertion into the genome. And if it's inserted into the genome, we cannot uh, really uh, control the, uh, the insertion. Okay, so it sounds like CRISPR, you'll um, you'll cut out a coding sequence, and then will you let the organism itself repair the damage, or will you also insert uh, a new sequence that you want to be expressed, or can yeah. you do both? It just depends. Yes, uh, not necessarily cutting the coding sequence. It can target intron and it can target uh, intergenic region in the chromosome. It depends on the purpose of the modification. Yeah, can I can I make a comment there? So. So uh, Xiaoyang is absolutely right. There are, so the CRISPR allow you to do at least two different things. One is to cut coding sequences to repair the mutations, or in our case, it's to deliver the gene to a what's called a safe location when there, where there's no gene expression, so the gene can be targeted there and expressed without affecting the endogenous gene. Sorry, just a little bit of clarification. Hmm. No, that's fine. That's fine. Okay. So what are some of the uh, examples of using CRISPR and what kind of effects have they had? Uh, can you repeat your question? What's, uh... Yeah, and are there, um, what specific examples are out there of where oh. scientists have used CRISPR? What kind um, of sequence have they removed and what have they, how has it affected the creature? Yeah, um, for example, there are multiple companies right now uh, doing the uh, CRISPR-based gene therapy uh, clinical trials. Um, um, as I remember, um, I think editors is trying to use the CRISPR to correct mutations in the its inherited eye disease. So um, I think the basic idea is using the CRISPR to target the retinal cells so it can remove a mutated exon and it can allow the gene to be still be expressed. You know, without that gene, the you know the the patient will eventually go to blindness. Yeah. Um, I, I think the second okay. they also try to use CRISPR to correct the sickle um, anemia. So that's a mutation in the um, in, in the red blood cells. Yeah, um, right. there are many uh, many potential uh, application for using the uh, using the CRISPR technology. It's really a uh, a wonderful tool. Yeah. So, how are you guys working with it specifically? What's your research about? 
Uh, I, I think Ming can probably uh, talk more. Like, uh, uh, so our studies uh, try to focus on the addiction and using skin as a vehicle. Yeah. Okay, I can I can comment a little bit. But Xiaoyang Xiaoyang certainly started this whole thing, and he has used the CRISPR method in mouse models to correct a uh, mouse model of uh, of uh, diabetes, and he can comment on that. But the uh, the collaboration between Xiaoyang and I, uh, our two labs targeted the uh, drug abuse in general, but the first example is, and the first example is uh, to potentially develop the, uh, the first uh, um, approach to treat uh, cocaine abuse. When I say first, I mean there's no FDA, there are no FDA approved medications for treating cocaine abuse, and unfortunately, drug addicts, cocaine addicts, they are turned away from the, uh, uh, from the um, treatment centers and hospitals and so on and so forth. Uh, so and the basic of it is that um, the essence of this approach is that uh, the, 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 actually the the development of this approach is aided by the by three uh, uh, advancements. The first one is uh, there is a naturally occurring cocaine degrading enzyme we call the BCHE, and uh, there are smart right. scientists who recognize this because the enzyme can degrade cocaine. They have been doing what's called computer derived mutagenesis. Uh, uh, and uh, uh, enabling over 15 years uh, of research, enabling the resulting protein to have a 404,000-fold increased cocaine-degrading enzyme activity, and at the same time, reduce the normal enzyme enzymatic activity for its normal substrate called acetylcholine. So that's one development. Okay. A second development is we covered it already, CRISPR. So CRISPR technology allows us to target this modified BCHE gene to a safe locus where the gene can be, the introduced gene can be expressed uh, uh, nicely without affecting, hopefully, the expression of all endogenous genes. And the, the, fir- the third development, perhaps the most in- important development, is occurred uh, uh, through Xiaoyang and uh, Xiaoyang's work. That is, he was able to isolate skin stem cells Using genetically, okay. uh, uh, using CRISPR to modify the genome of the skin stem cells, and then uh, he can graft these genetically modified cells into what's called a normal host. Normal host meaning immunocompetent mm-hmm. host. So that's very significant because you don't have to be uh, immune compromised in order to receive these cells in a somewhat permanent way. So the three techno- technological advancements allowed to us to test this cocaine treatment strategy. And uh, so what we uh, did was we uh, got this modified cocaine degrading enzyme and Xiaoyang targeted it and grafted it to normal mice. And we evaluated mm-hmm. using the resulting uh, grafted mice, uh, core, all core features of cocaine abuse. The first one is, is uh, uh, getting addicted. So you can use normal mice, graft these, genetically modified cells, and you can never induce cocaine abuse. So in a way, these grafted mice are protected from developing cocaine right. abuse. And the second key aspect, which is probably the most relevant to clinical treatment, that is we can induce cocaine addiction in mice, and then we can graft these cells, and then they can never relapse into cocaine use. That's highly significant. Uh, clinically, potentially, and the third aspect is. Uh, 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 go ahead. 
question? Oh, go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead with the third aspect. Then I'll ask you a question. I started asking about cocaine overuse, acute cocaine overdose. So there are cocaine naive people or or repeated uh, cocaine addicts uh, who repeated cocaine use cocaine, and uh, sometimes they get accidental overdose. Many people die. Uh, many people fortunately recover, and uh, there is just no handle on treating acute cocaine overdose. So we found that uh, upon grafting these genetically modified cells, uh, 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 um, uh, mice are fully protected from cocaine overdose. We can give them twice the lethal dose of cocaine. These grafted mice behave very normally, whereas what we call the control mice, who don't have the proper genetically grafted uh, cells, uh, uh, they die within minutes. So these oh, wow. are the three core features of cocaine abuse. And uh, uh, by grafting of uh, these genetically modified skin cells, these mice are fully protected from these three aspects of cocaine abuse. Huh. How how uh, do you introduce uh, the graft? Is it just can you just do an injection of you know CRISPR and it goes to work and does all the grafting for you, or how would you do this? Oh no no no, <laughs> Xiaoyang can explain this. No no no. Oh <laughs> uh, yeah um yeah um. So um I um basically I'm a skin biologist. Um so um the reason we choose skin as a kind of receptor to take the engineered cells is uh, you know, skin is the outer surface uh, organ, so it's very easy to um to to, to do the grafting and to monitor the tissue. And uh, yeah. um probably you don't know it's um so the skin grafting has been done uh, clinically a lot, uh, because the you know the bone wound patient um for treatment of bone wound uh, the patient will will require um, transplantation of autologous uh, uh, skin, either from the patient itself, or we can use the cells, the skin stem cells isolated from the patient, and the culture those right. cells, expand the cells in vitro, and generate a kind of artificial or the we call test tube skin, and for transplantation. So that that's a, a simple uh, surgical procedure to uh, transplant the uh, engineered skin uh, epidermal tissue onto the patient. So that's why we think that creates a, a really unique window so we can carry out a CRISPR-based genome editing in cultured skin stem cells and then generate engineered skin epidermal tissue for transplantation to the same patient for the treatment. Well, for, um, for something that acts systemically, how would you influence it? If something acts locally, let's say, I don't know, I have a condition that causes me to have a, a skin lesion that, you know, is cancerous, and you could, let's say, cut out that piece of skin and put in a uh, genetically modified piece of skin. Okay, but what if something acts, again, systemically? How would you affect the whole organism and change its, uh, you know, change its DNA so that it would be resistant, let's say, to cocaine or it would uh, overcome some kind of other illness? Mm-hmm. Um, so, so skin is, uh, although it's a, a, a peripheral organ, but it's uh, highly uh, vascularized. So the blood supply and blood circulation is very robust in the in the skin tissue. Mm. So we propose is the protein secreted out from the skin epidermal cells will be able to pass the barrier and enter circulation. So that's why it can cause a systematic effect. So for instance, mm. in our paper, we show the data is uh, we can detect the significant serum level of the enzyme we inserted into the skin cells. So suggest the secreted enzyme will not only stay locally, but enter into the circulation to achieve a defect. Yeah. But it, how long does it take for it to start acting systemically? And it, it, uh, it would have to, I mean, 
would it have to influence every tissue in the body or would it, or would it only influence certain tissues? And I mean, that's a dramatic change to the organism to do such a thing. Uh, yeah, I understand your, uh, your, 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 uh, your question. It's, uh, so um, for this uh, type of uh, um, therapy, potential therapy to function, it has to enter into the uh, circulation. You know, that, that's where the, um, the, uh, the cocaine um, may enter into the brain after uh, administration. So the enzyme uh, expressed in the skin cells has to be released into the into the circulation to be able to function. So that's uh, uh, if it stays locally, it will not function. Um, but I mean, express a kind of a exogenous or mutated enzyme uh, uh, in the blood may cause potential side effect. But based on the biochemical uh, analysis, we know um, the enzyme is especially engineered, so it has no um, its own uh, original substrate. Uh, it cannot act on its own uh, original substrate. And we also, uh, based on our literature and also our own studies show um, uh, to the level we tested, um, the enzyme level we used, it, it can, will not cause any uh, noticeable uh, effect on the mouse behavior uh, or, or any other but, significant but, side effect to the animal. So literally, literally, how did you create cocaine-proof mice? Did you graft a new piece of skin onto the mouse and the enzyme systemically altered all the tissue of the mouse, you know, the, the cells that make up the uh, blood vessels, the cells that make up the organs, the cells that make up the skin, were they all changed? No, uh, only, the cell, only, the, only the cells, uh, only the engineered skin stem cells has the gene, has the uh, engineered uh, genome with the uh, BCHE gene and with that enzyme expression. But that enzyme, mm. the protein product, will enter into the circulation. It will not uh, cause any oh, change okay. to the genetic material in any other cells. It's only the protein okay. product will be in the blood. And in this can case, I, the protein okay. will, yeah, I mean, do you want to comment on that? <laughs> yeah, can I, can I, uh, yeah, yes. So, yeah. so the, so the, so the, 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 the clever part of this is as Xiaoyang described, the gene, the, so we're using, so this, first of all, this skin cell-based therapy is a gene therapy. The only place where there's new genes introduced is this piece of skin where, so what Xiaoyang did was to cut a small piece of skin from a donor mouse and then use CRISPR to target this gene in and amplify the cells a little bit and put these genetically modified cells as a piece of skin back into the donor mouse. So only a skin patch, uh, only a skin patch contains that you then modify the gene. But what's clever, as I said, was that, and also as Xiaoyang said, these uh, genetically modified skin cells is able to express or produce these proteins, and the proteins get, get transported to the blood circulation. And there, only the protein, not the gene itself, the gene is permanently integrated only in the skin patches. Okay. So gotcha. it's the protein that's circulating in the blood. Once you're in the blood, uh, the protein will go to everywhere where blood reaches. And for cocaine abuse, uh, the cocaine reaches a central reward sort of a center and started the behavior, let's say addiction behavior there. So, but uh, before the uh, cocaine can reach there or when the cocaine reaches the reward system, the enzyme that's in the circulating blood actively degrades the cocaine very quickly, and we know this, we have chemical data. So it never accumulated enough to produce either a lethality, that is overdose, or have enough sustained effects to induce uh, right. addiction or relapse. 
So the protein reaches everywhere. I understand. Yeah, I I understand now. Okay. Well, uh, another question. So what about the surrounding skin? Let's say you affected a patch of a thousand skin cells. Those skin cells, as they divide and make new skin cells, they would carry, I would think, the genetic modification, right? Um, you mean the surrounding the, skin? Well, well, two. So the, the question skin is, sorry, the cells I, that you uh, altered and the surrounding skin will, first of all, will the skin cells that you altered, as they divide and make new cells, will they carry the modification, and then will it propagate to the surrounding skin cells or not? It will not. It may self-sustain to maintain the uh, the skin graft, but I mean the the chance the modified genome to you know um, to enter the adjacent uh, normal skin cells. I mean it, it's uh, scientifically uh, almost impossible. Yeah. Really? So you heard that it doesn't it doesn't go anywhere else. It stays just in those skin cells. Yeah, unless the skin cells um, you know proliferate. I mean there could be competition you know between the engineered cells versus the the original cells. I mean, it right. depends on whether it has a growth advantage or not. But in most cases, it will not. Okay. Yeah. So you've observed that it uh, that it uh, interesting. What about when those skin cells, you know, they die and new skin cells are created? Will they, you know, when they um, when they form new cells, do the new cells in that one local area will they still carry the modification, or will they lose it after a generation or so? Um, you know, the skin is maintained by what we call the basal progenitor cells, and that's also the cells we engineer. And using those uh-huh. the basal cells, we prepare the, uh, we call the stratified epidermis for replacement. So in most cases, I mean, the, um, um, I mean, we cannot rule out that possibility. I mean, there will be like, a, uh, uh, you know, migration of normal cells inside the skin graft, or there could be a certain migration of the cells outside of the skin graft. But in most cases, for example, from the example from the bone wound treatment, we think it's uh, it's not uh, very common. Um, most of the time, the skin uh, kind of follow its uh, we call the uh, upward migration pattern. It's from the basal to the uh, superbasal layer. Uh, that kind of differentiation, more like a kind of a perpendicular way uh, to maintain the tissue architecture. Yeah. But let's say they don't migrate. There's no migration in or out. Um, how long does a skin cell live for before it uh, is replaced with a new skin cell? The cells are maintained by the basal progenitor cells. Net cells uh, uh, is kind of a lifelong uh, supply for the you know to maintain the tissue. So you said so you're we, modifying the basal progenitor cells. So how often do the do the what's the life cycle of a skin cell? It's created by the basal progenitor cell, right? And then it lives yeah. for a period of time, and then I would think the it differentiated cells is usually like one to two weeks. It will uh, slough off. But the basal cells you okay. stay there uh, for years or even longer. Yeah. So what? So what happens if uh, when a new cell is created from the basal progenitor cell? Does it still express the same editing? Yes, it's from coming. If it's coming from engineered edited cells, it will maintain to be the edited cells. Yeah. Okay. So even when it creates new cells and it divides into new cells, they yes. will still continue to. Uh, okay. They okay, will replicate the genome. Yeah. Yeah, like when you've done the mouse studies, how long did they have the uh, the cocaine resistance for? Did you do it like over a month period or a year? And I was think there we, any change in we the tested it for uh, four months. Okay. Yeah, and we can still detect a very significant expression of the um, of the engineered gene. Did yeah. it change then, over time? The amount of uh, protein no, you I, saw in the blood? Um, I think it depends on the uh, how how well the graph is taken. Um, as long as the graph remain uh, stable. 
the, the explosion level remain uh, comparable. Okay. And that's pretty significant, if I may uh, add, because a rodent, the average lifespan for a rodent is 25 to 26 months of age. So right. if you can maintain four months, and in fact, we have evidence that the skin graft would be stable for up to seven months or, or, or so, again, depending on how well the grafts were taken. So that's very significant because that's more than a quarter of um, uh, the mouse lifespan. Translating into that into humans, then that's 15, 20, 20, 20 some years. That's very significant. So one patch would be good for hmm. a very long time. What about in a situation where you have, uh, let's say, um, cystic fibrosis? You know, uh, um, is a uh, alteration in the, uh, you know, the coding sequence in one part of the organism's genome, you know, human, and you'd want to affect them systemically in every tissue. You'd want to change that. Could we even begin to do something like that, or is that way far off? Or can CRISPR not do that? In every cell, uh, the mutation is corrected. That has to be edited through germline. And in humans, there's a big debate whether we should touch the germline. Yes, uh, yeah, ethically, uh, very because... controversial. Yeah. That's right. That's right. Right, right. And right. Uh, scientists, yeah, scientists are, are working toward it. But until there's strong evidence that uh, CRISPR is absolutely safe before we can touch mm-hmm. yeah. germline. And there are some illegal research you're probably aware of from certain parts of the world that made the uh, news. And that's, that's not a good example. Right, yeah, I right. think uh, I stay in the somatic cells. I mean, right now will be a good idea. Yeah. Um, yeah. But so there's yeah. I just so there's no way to affect. Um, let's all right. Let's go back to the skin. So is there no way to alter a patch of skin and have that propagate to all the skin cells, even the same kind of cell? Is there no way to do that that you can see? Um, so actually, uh, there was one paper published in 2017. Um, it's not using CRISPR, but using virus uh, therapy. So that's a, a skin uh, genetic disease. It's called uh, epidermolysis brucea. It's uh, almost a lethal uh, skin uh, disease. So it's because uh, the patient has a mutated um, lemonin uh, 3 gene. So the skin epidermis cannot uh, attach well to the underlying dermal tissue. That will cause uh, skin lesion, the blister formation, and also in infection because of skin lesion. So in that case, uh, I think that the team collected the skin stem cells from the patient and they used the viral vector to correct the mutation and replace the whole skin using the uh, engineered cells. And that treatment was uh, very successful and saved the patient. Okay. So theoretically, it's entirely possible to replace the whole skin if yeah, techn- the situation warrants. But in our case, we want minimal skin replacement because why replace the whole skin if a very small piece of skin will do the job, right? Yeah. Right. That's what I mean. I just wonder if there would be a benefit if the change propagated throughout all the same cell type. Um, right. It, it, will not, yeah. it will not propagate to other cell type, but you can technically, it is possible to change all the basal, uh, to change all the epidermal cells, or we call the carcinocytes. Yeah. Okay, but so far the viral vector is the only way that people have been able to do that. Uh, no, 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 not necessary. I mean, they use the virus because it's you know, the technology is more uh, more mature. You know, um, you can certainly use CRISP to do it too. Um, oh, how, why would that work and propagate throughout the other cells when this doesn't? What makes uh, it propagate or not? No, no, no. I mean, the the initial uh, procedure is the same. You collect the patient's skin stem cells. You do the engineering, you either use a viral 
uh, vector, or you can use CRISP to modify it. And after you get an engineered pool of stem cells, you can expand those cells to generate enough skin epidermis for transplantation. And you can replace all the, uh, the, the unmodified cells in the skin. So would that mean transplanting the entire skin section by yes. section? Yes. Or could you... Mean. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It would be nicer if you could just start it at a certain spot and have it propagate. Yeah, that that will be uh, technically very difficult. Yeah, yeah well, yeah. that would be the next step, maybe, the next gigantic step. If you yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. Um, I wouldn't want to technical, have Technical-wise, it may be very difficult. <laughs> yeah. Huh, yeah. very interesting. So what um, what do you think is going to happen? Oh, for in the addiction field, of course, uh, uh, wonderful things will happen. We have tried this approach, not only for cocaine abuse. We've tried it in alcohol. We just completed a study with Xiaoyang as part of this. Um, uh, uh, it's fully um, functional. Or fully, it works very well in protecting against or treating alcohol abuse. And uh, uh, we have evidence that it will work for nicotine abuse. And we would like to think that it will work for opiate abuse as well, and also co-abuse of many of the drugs. So in drug addiction alone, the application is potentially uh, uh, going to be very broad, and uh, we hope it's going to produce a uh, very large impact. Okay, that's true. That that is uh, that's plenty for now. Very good. So what's the best way for uh, people to get in touch and to ask questions and to find out more? Email both of us or one of us, and we'll try the best we can to, to respond. Okay, that's great. You're listening to the Future Tech Podcast with Richard Jacobs. Future technologies such as artificial intelligence, stem cells, 3D printing, gene editing, Bitcoin, blockchain, the microbiome, quantum computing, virtual reality, and exploring space are much closer than you might think. In fact, many early versions of these technologies are in play right now, and the companies that are using these technologies are the focus of this podcast. My goal for you, the listener, is to learn from these podcasts. You may very well learn something that may change the course of your life for the better, steer you towards a new career, or give you insight into addressing a thorny medical problem. Remember, this podcast and its content is informational in nature only. No medical, tax, legal, financial, or psychological advice is being given. If you've enjoyed the podcast, please listen, subscribe, like, and tell your friends about it. Thank you.